Welcome to the Summerton Church of God Sermon Podcast, a podcast to help you find life, freedom, and purpose in Jesus Christ. Well, this morning I'm going to continue what I started talking about at the first of the year, the word of the Lord gave our church for 2021. And I'm telling you, every single day I become more and more convinced that this is God's word, not just for us here at Summerton Church of God, but I believe that this is a word for the church across this nation. The word stand. And that we are continually declaring throughout 2021 that no matter what comes our way, we will stand. Amen? When the dust has settled, we'll still be standing. Last week, I began talking to you about the schemes of the devil. Now, up until this point, I I basically just shared with you what I felt like the word was that God had given us for, for 2021. And then we began to talk about the way that the devil is working, the schemes of the devil, because I, I really believe that a large part of my responsibility as your pastor is to prepare you for war, prepare you for battle, to prepare you for what Paul referred to as the evil day. And last week we started, we started talking about the schemes of the devil. And I talked to you about two things, and and we're going to talk about one of those things more this morning. But the first thing that we talked about is the fact that the devil is real. As I said last week, I never thought I would see the day when I, a pastor, would have to get up in front of a body of followers of Christ and talk about the fact that the devil is real. But recent statistics show us that 50% of confessing Christians in our nation do not believe that the devil is a real person. They think that he is nothing more than just a symbol of evil, a little man in a red suit with horns and a pitchfork. But we talked about this last week that he is much more than that. He is real. Jesus believed in the devil and talked about the devil on numerous occasions. The apostle Paul believed in the devil and wrote about him on numerous occasions. James, the brother of Jesus, he believed in the devil and he wrote about him many times in his book, the book of James. And also the apostle Peter believed in the devil and wrote about him. We see what he says here in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says that we need to be alert and we need to be of sober mind because your enemy, notice he tells us with clarity who our enemy is. That your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So I'm not going to spend any more time. If you were not here last week, you need to go back and listen to last week's message because we went in depth about the reality of the devil. But then the second thing that I began talking to you last week about is the fact that the devil has a plan. He has a plan. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us here in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 and 11. He said, finally be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And that word schemes there means the methods of the devil, the plans of the devil. And we began to talk last week about what the devil's plan is. Now, let me, let me just stop right here before I go any further and remind you, because some people want to put the devil or Satan at the same level as they do God. But let me, let me remind you that Satan was a created and is a created being. He himself was created by God. So here's what that means. That means that the devil is not omnipotent. He is not all-powerful, but now that doesn't mean he's not powerful. It means he's not all-powerful. The devil is not omnipresent, even though how many of you know sometimes it seems like he is because he seems like he's everywhere we are, but he has a host of demons that help to carry out his work and his plan. And then thirdly, he is not omniscient. Now, that just simply means he is not all-knowing. The devil cannot read your mind, and he can't read my mind. The devil doesn't know what's in your heart, nor does he know what's in my heart. But here's what you've got to understand about the devil. He takes really good notes. He knows more about your strengths and weaknesses, perhaps, than you know about your strengths and weaknesses. And I can pretty much guarantee you that he knows more about you than you know about him. That's why we have to do series like we're in right now so that we can know what the schemes of the devil are. So he's a created being. He's not all powerful. He's not everywhere present. He is not all knowing, but he takes really good notes. So he knows what your weaknesses are and my weaknesses. He knows your strengths as well as he knows my strengths. And he devises a plan accordingly to destroy you. The last week we began talking about some of the things that the devil does to destroy us a little bit about what his plan is for our lives. First of all, we talked last week about how that Satan wants to distract us. And I'm not going to spend very long on this point. Again, you can go back and listen to last week's message because I talked about this at the end of the message last week. But, but the way that the enemy primarily wants to distract us is he wants us to get, he, he wants to get us fighting against who we're supposed to be fighting for. That's why Paul said here in Ephesians 6 and 12 that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You need to remember, your spouse is not your enemy. Your children are not your enemy. Children, your parents are not your enemy. Politicians are not our enemy. Amen? But that's what the enemy would like to make us think. And so he gets us distracted fighting against who we're really supposed to be fighting for because that then takes our attention off of him. So he does everything that he possibly can to try and distract us. But here's, here's a second thing that we need to know about the devil's plan. 
And this is where we'll pick up this morning. And that is that Satan doesn't just want you distracted and I distracted. Satan wants you divided. He, he wants you divided. Now, now, let me tell you, we see this from his very beginning. Because what did he do with the angels in heaven? He divided them. He was able to influence a third of the angels of heaven to follow him in his rebellion against God. And of course, Satan and a third of those angels were kicked out of heaven and landed here on earth. And so what do you think Satan's going to do once he's here on the earth? Let me me just tell you something about him that you need to write down right here. He is a deviant divider. He hates the unity that exists between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so he has decided that if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is going to be all about unity, then I'm going to be all about division. That that if the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is all about coming together as one, then I'm going to do everything that I can to divide. And that's exactly what he does in the beginning of time. Because what does he do? Well, first of all, he divides man from God. Because up until Adam and Eve fell in the Garden of Eden, up until that time, man and woman had perfect harmony with God, had perfect unity with God. And so the enemy wanted to destroy that unity. And so what does he do? He introduces sin into the human race. And what is it that divides us? What is it that turns us against God? What is it that separates us from God? It's sin. And so he begins by separating man from God. But then he also wants to divide and separate man from man. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. He divided them. You go on through the book of Genesis. You've got Cain and Abel divided. You've got Esau and Jacob divided. You've got Isaac and Ishmael divided. You've got Joseph and his brothers divided. And you go on through the word of God. You've even got David and his brothers divided. Why? Because the enemy is a deviant divider. He knows that united we stand, but divided we what? We fall. He knew the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 3 that we looked at last week. You remember we talked about where Jesus had cast the demon out of a man. And the Pharisees accused Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. And, and, and I could just imagine what Jesus was thinking. How ridiculous is that? Why would Satan want to cast himself out of somebody? And and then he goes on and he makes this statement. He says that if a kingdom is divided against itself, look at this, that kingdom cannot stand. You see, that's why we're talking about standing in 2021. It's because the enemy is trying to divide us in order that he can take us down. And notice what it says in in verse 25, that if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Listen, there's some marriages in trouble in this room here today. And and, and you think that your enemy is your wife. You think that your enemy is your husband. But I'm telling you, the enemy's doing everything he possibly can to divide you, to rip you apart any way that he possibly can because he knows that if he can get you divided, you don't have a chance of standing. 
And, and, and then notice what he says in verse 26. He says, and if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. And look at this, his end has come. Listen, the moment we allow the enemy to divide us, and he doesn't just want to divide us between us and God. He doesn't just want to divide us between one another. He wants to divide the church of the living God. That's the reason why there's over 200 Christian denominations in our nation today. And many of those churches got their start because somebody got hurt. Somebody got offended. Somebody got mad and said, well, I'll just split off from this place and I'll start my own place. Listen, the blessing and the anointing of God can never be on a house that started through division. Do you hear me? The blessing and the anointing of God can never be on a house like that. But notice, he says that if he can ever get us divided, that we cannot stand, and that'll be the end of us. That'll be the end of our church. That'll be the end of our community. That'll be the end of our nation. That'll be the end of your marriage. That'll be the end of your family. That if the enemy can ever get you dis divided, that he can destroy you. That's why Jesus, in John chapter 17, the very last prayer that he prayed, when he was having the last supper with his disciples, prayed this. He said, my prayer is not just for these disciples alone, Father. He said, I pray also for those who will believe in me. That's people like you and me who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be what? May be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one. Everybody say one. That they, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought together in complete unity. I'm telling you that if we are going to stand in this evil day, because I believe there's an attack about to come against the church like the church has never experienced before. And if we're still going to be standing when the dust settles, it'll be because we did not divide and separate and abandon one another. But we joined hands and we joined hearts and we joined faith and we joined together in vision and mission so that when the dust settles we're still standing firm for the glory of God hallelujah amen but he wants to distract he wants to divide he knows we're stronger together than we would ever be trying to stand alone so he fights against that unity trying to divide. That's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter four, he says, make every effort to maintain the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. But here's something else that's a part of Satan's plan. Not only does he want to distract you and not only does he want to divide you, but he wants you to be discontent. Now this is something maybe you've not even thought about as it relates to the plan of the enemy. But do you know this is what led to his rebellion to begin with, is discontentment. When you go back and read how God created Lucifer, who later became Satan, the Bible called him Lucifer, the son of the morning, a bearer of light. And then it says this about him. Now get this, that he was perfect 
in beauty. Now, I know that some of us think we are perfect in beauty, but the Bible actually says he was perfect in beauty and that he was full of wisdom. And every precious stone was his covering. Now, you, you, you look at that and you think, well, it just can't get any better than that. Well, evidently, Satan thought it could. He was discontent. He wasn't satisfied with being a worshiper. He wanted himself to be worshiped. And it was his discontentment that led to his rebellion against God. There's got to be something better. I'm not satisfied with who I am. I'm not satisfied with where I am. And there's got to be something better. Now listen, I shared with you a moment ago that the enemy knows us maybe better than we know ourselves. Let me tell you something else that the enemy knows better than most Christians, the Bible, the word of God. He knows the word of God so well that he has the ability to twist the scriptures to make it sound right when all along it's not, it's a lie. That's how much he knows the word of God. To make it sound like he's quoting it right and interpreting it right when really he's using it to lead you astray and to deceive you. We'll talk more about that next week. But the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11 that the enemy knows this about what God says about us in his word. That God has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, now you remember Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It talks about all the different seasons that we go through in life. That there's a time to be born and there's a time to die. That there's a time to plant and there's a time to reap. That there's a time to weep and there's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn and there's a time to dance. I mean, just all different kinds of seasons. But notice what he said, that God can take even the bad seasons of our lives and make something beautiful out of them. Because what we, what we do sometimes is we get so discontent based on the season of life that we are in. <laughs> but notice what else he says. He says that he has also set eternity in the human heart. Here's, here's what the enemy knows about every one of us in this building today. today. He knows that by nature we are discontented. Why? Because eternity has been set in our heart. That means that nothing temporary on this earth could ever satisfy us. That it's going to take something more than something temporary to satisfy us. That the only thing that can truly satisfy us is the eternal. Is, is our relationship with, our trust, our faith, and our hope in God. That's the only thing that can fully satisfy us is, is the eternal because eternity is in our heart. So, so temporary things will never satisfy you. So the enemy knows that. And so here's what he do, does. He sends you on a path, by the way, that ends in destruction, causing you to try to find satisfaction in temporary things, knowing that it will never happen. That's why if you're young... You want to be old. And if you're older, you want to be younger. 
That's why if it's new or if it's old, you want something new. And if it's new, you want something newer. That's why if it's small, you want it big. And if it's big, you want it really big. That's why if you have $100, you want $200. And if you have $200, you want $500. That's why if you're in an apartment, you want a condo. And if you get the condo, then you want a house. And once you get the house, now I need a bigger house. Now I need a newer house. Now I need a nicer house. That's why if you're single, you want to be married. And if you're married, I'm going to let you finish that sentence. I'm not going there. But you see, the enemy knows that eternity is in your heart and it's in my heart. And he knows that nothing in this world could ever satisfy us, but he leads us down a path looking for satisfaction in the things of this world. And then we're left what? We're left disappointed and we're left depressed. But, 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 but notice even in Romans chapter, in, in, in Genesis chapter three, verse five, how the enemy, even in the beginning of time, tries to plant this seed of discontentment, even in the heart of Adam and Eve, because he comes to them in the garden of Eden and says this, God knows that your eyes will be open as soon as you eat the fruit of this tree and that you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. In other words, he says, listen, you, you may have it good, but there's something better. There's something that God's holding out on here. Something that God is keeping from. There's something better. How could it be any better than the life that they had in the Garden of Eden? There was no sin. There was no pain. There was no death. There was no thorns and thistles and weeds that you had to pull out of the garden. I mean, it was a perfect, a beautiful environment, but the enemy convinced them there's got to be even something better. And Eve fell for it and said that the woman was convinced. And she saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Why? Because I know there's got to be something better. And he sent her on this path of trying to find something temporary that could satisfy her. Do, do you know what the enemy uses to cause us to be discontent or discontented? He uses comparison. Oh, I could preach right here for a little while. People begin to compare that maybe God's been better to somebody else than he has to them. Or people begin to compare their life with somebody else's life or their looks with somebody else's looks. And they begin to compare themselves and they become discontent with who they are. And they become discontent with what they have. And can I tell you what the fruit of discontentment is? Does anybody want to know what the fruit is? Griping. <laughs> complaining. Grumbling. 
That's why the children of Israel, when they were in the wilderness and God was providing for them, God was giving them manna from heaven every day. God was calling quail, causing quail to fly into their camp every evening. God would make sure they had something to drink, even if he had to bring raw water out of a dry rock. But that wasn't enough for them. They were discontent. And what did they do? They compared how things used to be when they were back there in Egypt. All the food back there was so much better. And the drink back there was so much better. Yeah, but what you don't remember is you were slaves. What you don't remember is you were in bondage when you were back there in Egypt. And if you'll just be patient and hang on a little while and praise God, even through the wilderness, he said, I'm taking you to a promised land. I'm taking you to a place that's going to be so much better than anywhere you've ever been. Mm. You see, that's why Paul had to address this in Romans chapter 9, verse 20. He said, who are you, a human being, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to the one who formed it? Why did you make me like this? Paul had the secret. Philippians 4, I have learned. Let me tell you something about contentment. You've got to learn it. It doesn't come natural. He said, I have learned to be content no matter what my circumstances. <laughs> and then he said this, he said, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I've learned the secret of being content in every situation, whether I'm well fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. You want to know what the secret is? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I can be all things that God has created me to be through Christ who strengthens me. Listen, be sober, be alert. He wants to distract you. He wants to divide you. He wants you discontent. And then I'll close with this one this morning. We're gonna talk about a few more next week, but he wants you discouraged. I believe that that is the spirit behind this season that we are in right now. I've never seen so many discouraged believers. I've never seen so many discouraged pastors and people in ministry. And we know that the enemy will do everything that he possibly can to steal away our courage. That's what it means to be discouraged to take the courage out of. What we need are some encouragers, some people who will speak life over us. Some, speak to some people who will, who will come along beside us and encourage us, instill courage back into us. I go back to the Old Testament. First Kings chapter 16, 17, 18, and 19. Don't worry, I'm not gonna preach all of those chapters. But in 1 Kings chapter 19, a man by the name of Ahab becomes the king over Israel. And he takes as a wife a woman by the name of Jezebel. Now it's not enough that Ahab is already, the Bible describes him as the most wicked king that had ever ruled in Israel. And so he takes Jezebel as his wife and she was a worshiper of Baal. 
And so what did he allow? He allowed Jezebel to set up images of Baal and build Asherah poles all throughout the nation of Israel. And the people of God began to sin by committing idolatry and worshiping false gods. God won't put up with that. And so he speaks to the prophet Elijah in chapter 17 of 1 Kings and he says, you are to go and stand before Ahab. Now, first of all, that's going to require a lot of courage because he could lose his life with the message that God's given him. But he goes and he stands before Ahab and he says, Ahab, the Lord has sent me here to declare to you that there's not going to be any dew and there's not going to be any rain for three and a half years. Now notice that, not just rain, there's not even going to be any dew. It's going to be dry as a bone for three and a half years. And he makes that announcement. And then, of course, for the next three and a half years, there's a famine. But God sustains Elijah. When we come to chapter 18 of 1 Kings, we're near the end of this famine. And God tells Elijah to once again present himself to Ahab. Now, now let me just tell you something about Jezebel and see if this sounds familiar today. Let me tell you what Jezebel was trying to do in that culture, in that environment. She was trying to silence the prophets of God. But how many of you know that even in a wicked palace where Ahab and Jezebel are ruling and reigning, God can strategically place <laughs> one of his vessels. And there was one there by the name of Obadiah. And knowing that Jezebel was trying to silence the prophets of God by killing them, Obadiah was taking the prophets of God and hiding them in caves. A hundred of them he had hidden. Fifty in one cave and fifty in another. And do you know what God was doing through the palace even though they didn't know it? How many of you know that God can even use what the enemy has to take care of the people of God? <laughs> because what she didn't know is she was the one feeding those prophets. Because Obadiah would take food from the palace and he would take drink from the palace to make sure that the prophets in the caves were being taken care of. She was trying to silence the prophets of God. But finally, Elijah and Ahab once again have a confrontation and, and Elijah says, meet me at Mount Carmel and bring those 450 false prophets of Baal as well as those 400 prophets that worship those Asherah poles. 850 of them, they got on the top of Mount Carmel. And this is what Elijah said to those false prophets of Baal. He said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little contest. And, and, and we're going to pray. You pray to your God and I'm going to pray to my God. And we're going to build this altar and we're going to put a sacrifice on it. And we're going to pray that God will consume the sacrifice by fire. And whosoever God hears the prayer and answers and sends fire to consume the sacrifice, that's the God that we will serve. Well, those prophets of Baal went first. He let them go first. They did everything they could. I mean, they were just moaning and groaning and chanting and doing everything nothing happened and Elijah's sitting back just taking enjoyment of it all and finally when they were done Elijah got up and the first thing he did is he repaired the altar of God he prays a 64 word prayer fire falls from heaven and consumes the sacrifice <laughs> and Elijah and his servants chased down and killed all 450 of those prophets of Baal and the other 400 false prophets. 
And then after that, the Bible says that Elijah looks at Ahab and he says to Ahab, listen, shh, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. <laughs> and so he sends his servant out to check. And his servant comes back and said, I'm sorry to tell you this, Elijah, there ain't a cloud in the sky. Nowhere, no cloud to be found anywhere. Seven times he went out, but the seventh time that he came back, he told Elijah, he said, I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And that's when Elijah told his servant, you better get on your chariot and head back to town right now before you can't get back because the rain is coming. Yeah. Amen. <laughs> and of course it did. It rained after not having rain for three and a half years. Well, when word got back to Jezebel, that her prophets had been killed. She said, may the gods, may my gods deal with me ever so severely if by this time tomorrow what happened to those prophets hasn't happened to the prophet Elijah. Now think about this. This is a man that for three and a half years God sustained him supernaturally through a famine. This is a man that had the courage to stand before Ahab and tell him it's not going to rain. This is a man that stood on Mount Carmel and prayed a 64-word prayer and the fire of God fell. But the enemy, like a roaring lion, trying to intimidate. And that's what he'll do. He'll try to intimidate you. He'll use fear to discourage you. And this same man, Elijah, look at how he responds. He was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's wilderness into the journey. And he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Discouragement has set in this man of God, this prophet of God. And he said, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And then it says he lay down under that bush and fell asleep. Hope that he would never wake up again. Because just like in that culture, there was a spirit of discouragement behind what was happening. And there is a spirit of discouragement behind what's happening in our nation right now. The enemy is wanting to get you and I discouraged. It happened in the New Testament to a man. Just stay with me just a couple of more minutes. You need to hear this. But it happened in the New Testament to a man by the name of John the Baptist. And, and, and we find his story here in, in Matthew chapter 11, that it says that when John the Baptist was in prison, he heard about the deeds of Jesus and he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Now think about this. This is John the Baptist. Where is he? He's in prison. Why is he in prison? Because there's a king by the name of Herod. Herod has a brother by the name of Philip. Philip has a wife named Herodias. And Herodias has left Philip and she's moved into the palace and she's having an immoral relationship with her brother-in-law. And what does, what does John the Baptist do? John the Baptist said, nope, ain't going to stand for this. And he walks in and he stands before King Herod. And he said, you know what you're doing is wrong. That should not be going on in the palace. You are living an immoral lifestyle. He confronts Herod's sin. And where does that get him? It gets him in prison. 
A little later, Herodias would come in and dance before the king and some of the other people in the palace. And it would please Herod so much that he would say to Herodias, whatever you want in the kingdom, I'm going to give it to you. She said, I want John the Baptist's head on a silver platter. And that's exactly what Herod does. He sends back and he has John the Baptist beheaded while he's in prison. And now he's in, but, but, but at this point, he's still in prison awaiting his death. And he's discouraged. And, and he says, are you the one, Jesus, are you the one to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now this is the man, listen, this is the guy that baptized Jesus. This is the guy that when he saw Jesus, he declared, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the man that when he was still a baby in his mother's womb, Elizabeth's womb, that Mary, when she was pregnant with Jesus, she walked into the room where Elizabeth was and announced that she was pregnant with Jesus. And the Bible says that John the Baptist, who was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, even while he was in his mother's womb, that he leapt in his mother's womb. So this is somebody who knows who Jesus is. But how many of you know that sometimes we get into environments, sometimes we get into situations and we get into circumstances and we begin to doubt because that's what the enemy would do to try to get us discouraged. And so he said, listen, is this the one who is to come or should I expect someone else? And look at the answer that Jesus gives his disciples. He said, go back and report to John what you hear and what you see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. Notice he's encouraging John who is discouraging. He's, he's instilling courage back into John. And he said the blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Listen, every one of us, if we're not careful in our circumstances, that we are in, in our situation that we're in. The enemy will try to use it against us to discourage us, to say, where is God now? Why is the Lord so inactive in your life right now? He seems to be working in other people's lives. Why isn't he working in your life? I'm gonna just admit to you this morning, this is one of the number one weapons that the enemy has used against me. That at times when I get weary, at times when I get fatigued, at times when I get frustrated, the enemy will try to use discouragement to silence me. Discouragement to cause me to grow weary in doing good. But I tell you what I've learned to do. I've learned to just go through the word of God. And this is why you need the word of God. But to go through the word of God and remind myself of who God is. I go to places like Psalm chapter 9 where it says that the Lord is a refuge to the oppressed. And that he is a stronghold in our times of trouble. I go to places is like Psalm chapter 22 verse 19 that tells me that God is my strength and that I can get through any situation or circumstance in my life. I go to places like Psalm chapter 31 verse 5 where it says that the Lord is faithful, hallelujah, that he'll never leave me, that he'll never forsake me, but that he will do what he's promised to do. I go to places like Psalm 65 and 5 that tell 
tells me that the Lord is the hope of every individual on the face of the earth. And he is my hope that he will not abandon me, that he will see me through this, that the best is still yet to come for Victor Massey. I go to places like Psalm 71 and 5 where it says that the Lord is near. He said in Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in their spirit. I go to places like Psalm 85 verse 5 where it says that the Lord, I like this one, that the Lord is so good. Hallelujah. How many of you know he's good today? That the Lord is so good. And then he goes on and says he is so willing to forgive. Oh, that ought to help somebody here this morning where the enemy's lying to you and telling you that you'll never recover from your sin, that God will never forgive you of your sin. Oh, he is so good. He is so willing to forgive. And then it says he is full of unfailing love. Hallelujah. His love never fails. His love is unconditional. His love is perfect. I go to Psalm 118 verse 28 that says you you are my God. I will praise you. You are my God. I'm going to exalt you. You see, you got to know what the promises of God's word are because sometimes you just got to strengthen yourself. Sometimes you've just got to encourage yourself in the Lord. Somebody give God a praise in the house today. Hallelujah. 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 Yes, Lord. <laughs> just stay, just stay standing, just stay standing. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 1.20. He said, no matter how many promises God has made, man, you go back to the Old Testament, there's many promises. And even in the New but he said, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Jesus has said yes to every single one of the promises of God. But he's saying more than that here. He's saying that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the promises of God. So that now you and I can say, Amen. I believe it. That settles it. Amen. Here in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul is about to be discouraged somewhat by the enemy. He says that we arrived in Macedonia. It had always been his dream to get there. But he said, when we got there, there was no rest for us. We faced conflict from every direction with battles on the outside and fear on the inside. <laughs> but God, who encourages those who are discouraged, encouraged us. And notice how he encouraged him on this occasion. He encouraged by sending Titus. Now, I want to end right here because I believe that the Lord wants to use you to be a source of encouragement to somebody today. You know, there's been some folks, and they watch us by live stream. There's been some of our senior adults, they've just not been able to get here. 
because of this pandemic that we're in right now. And you know what they need? They need somebody to call them and encourage them. Because you can get discouraged. We have some others that have been in a physical battle for a long, long time. And they and their families, they need to be encouraged. And what the Lord wants to do is God wants to encourage them through you and through me. Listen, let's not forget about each other right now. There's some people in this room here today who have lost family members to this horrible pandemic or maybe to something else. And you know what they need? They need a brother. They need a sister to call them, to encourage them. What's your schedule like this week? You want to have lunch? We need to be encouraging one another in the Lord. So, Pastor, I don't have a lot of scriptures memorized that I can speak to them. Listen, you don't have to have a lot of scripture. You, you can just take your Bible and read scripture to them. And yes, the word of God is important. But let me tell you something else is important. Just your thought, just your presence. That they know you're thinking about them. And some of you here today, you need that kind of encouragement. Because this is a season and behind this season that we're in right now is a spirit of discouragement. But Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray, Lord, that you would just right now send your Holy Spirit. May may there be a manifestation, Lord, of the encouraging, comforting power of the Holy Spirit come upon your people right now. Lord, we're in, a, we're in a battle like we've never been in before. We're fighting a war, God, like we've never fought before. We're, and we, we have a tendency, Lord, to get weary, fatigued, and tired, and discouraged. But Lord, just as you told your disciples, when you left this earth, preparing them for your physical absence, you said, I'm gonna pray to the Father And he's going to send you another comforter that will abide with you forever. But you even went even further than that. You said he's not just going to abide with you. He's going to be in you. I pray for a manifestation, Lord, of your Holy Spirit power that lives on the inside of your people, Lord. That they can be strong in the Lord, God, and in the power of his might. So that they can stand against the schemes, the plans, the methods of the devil. There's some here today, Lord, that is distracted. The enemy has got them focused on things that they don't need to be focused on, trying to take their attention off of you, Lord. Help them to get focused today, Lord. God, there's some today that are being destroyed through division. I pray today, God, for restoration, reconciliation in marriages and families in homes and churches. Lord, I pray for the church of the living God in the United States of America, Lord, that we would not be divided 200 different denominations, but that, Lord, that somehow we could find a way for all of us to come together and know that we have one common enemy, that we are not fighting against each other, that our enemy is the devil and that we can be so much more effective together than we could ever be doing it on our own. Lord, I pray for those today that are discontented. 
those that are trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in temporary things, it's not going to happen because you've set eternity in our hearts. And today, Lord, if there's somebody here who doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, that's the only place they're going to find fulfillment and satisfaction is in the eternal things. And you, Lord, are eternal. So I pray that today they would surrender, that they would stop on this path of destruction that they're on and that they would turn to you today, Lord, because only Jesus can satisfy their soul. And then for the discouraged, Lord, encourage them today, a manifestation, Lord, of your comforting Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. And let's give God a praise in this room today. Hallelujah. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God, being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.